0: On the behalf of Pastor Kathy, my mom, your senior leader, I just want to greet you today. Thank you for being with us. I'm just believing that God has something for us today. But listen, I I want to get a few things out of the way. If you come next week and you didn't tell anyone about coming with you, something's up. Because there is two times in the year twice. I'm talking to all the Christian folk out here, the people that say they know Jesus. Okay? So all the rest of y'all, y'all are not responsible for this message. But for those of you that do know Christ, let me tell you two things. There are seasons in time that people's hearts are more open than others. Okay, I'm going to talk on this side. This is called instruction time. Cuz your pastor talking to you. There are times that people's hearts are more open than others. And one of those seasons is Easter some people will come with their mama to church on Easter and they won't come any other day of the year. Some people will come just because you're giving them fried chicken. Some people will come just because they don't have nothing to do on Easter and their kids need an Easter egg hunt. But it doesn't matter. God uses all of it to get people in the house so that he has an opportunity to be able to speak to them and minister to them. So I want to encourage you, if you're an ongoing part of the gate, you need to get to the house next week, but you need to bring someone with you. Okay, I'm going to go back over here. Feels like it's better over here. Bring someone with you. Now, you cannot make someone come. This is what I always learn. You cannot make someone drink the water, but you sure can lead them there. Great leaders know how to bring people to the house of God. So I just want to encourage you today that you will bring people to the house of God and that you will be a part of what God is doing. Amen. So I'm excited about Easter. And don't forget that we have Good Friday on Friday night at 630 to 730 on the patio. You're not going to want to miss it. It's our communion time together. It's also a time for you to bring your family and enjoy the cafe. And then, of course, on Wednesday, this is our last time of meeting together for prayer before Easter where we're believing that God is taking us in. How many of you have been to prayer? You've been coming, you've come. Oh wow, this is amazing. This is exciting. Look what God is doing. Well, are you ready for the word today? Amen. Well, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing in our series, Taking Responsibility. Taking Responsibility. Ephesians chapter 5. And when you get there, it's just our tradition to read, to stand to read for the word. And I'm just asking you if you'll stand with us. Ephesians 5. I'm going to be reading out of verse 15 and verse 16. In this case, I'm reading out of the NIV, but whatever version you have will be fine. Talking about taking responsibility. Taking responsibility. Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I'm going to. I'm going to, sister. I'm with you. I'm going to read it again because we need to get some stuff out of this. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. One translation says, learn to redeem the time. Learn to redeem the time. So today, if I was going to give a title to my message, it would be taking responsibility for our moment. Taking responsibility for our moment. Lord, thank you for the ability to preach and teach and to declare your word. Thank you that it isn't about me, but it's all about you. Thank you, Lord, that it's only you who can illuminate and bring forth from your scripture what it is that you have for us. And Lord, today we just yield ourselves to receive as we take responsibility for our moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Would you just turn to someone and tell them you're taking responsibility for your moment. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's interesting because this is Paul and he's writing and he's giving many instructions on the life of the way that things will go. And he, and he comes to, to verse 15 and 16 and he says, learn to either seize the opportunity or redeem the time. Now, a lot of people would read that and they would skip right over it and they would say, well, I don't know what redeeming the time means and I don't have any idea what that means. Let me break it down for you so that we have a better understanding. To redeem means to buy back. That's what the word redeem means. It means to buy up or buy back. That's why when Jesus said, I've come to redeem you, he wasn't coming just to get you out. He was coming to take over the purchase price of what someone else had decided your price tag was. So when he said he redeems us or he brings us into redemption, what he's saying is, is that he's now the new owner and all the benefits of new ownership now belong to us because see, had he not done that and just said to us, well, I'm coming to make sure, you know, you get a better life and you have a better future, it would still connect ownership to what it was previously to Jesus. That's why a lot of times it's interesting to me that so many people, they get saved, but they don't understand the redeeming nature of God. And so they have a salvation moment. In other words, they walk down and they say a prayer and they mean it, but they live under old ownership most of their life. So when they're in their home life or they're thinking about something that they can do with their life, instead of considering the owner who is over them now and the benefits of that ownership, they always refer back to the owner that used to be over their life. So everything about their potential is still being locked up by whoever the old ownership was. See, when you purchase a house, you don't own it till it's paid for. I love when people say, and particularly in our nation, more than any nation in the earth, we say things like, I own that house. Actually, whoever your lender is owns that house until you no longer have a bill on it. Because trust me, if you go 60 days and decide you don't want to pay something, The real owner is coming to make sure that you no longer stay in the property because it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to them. So you really aren't the owner, you're the steward over what it is that is in your life. You're stewarding someone else's property. When people lend you money, they're not lending you money based on anything other than they believe you're going to steward their property well. And now we go through 50,000 pieces of paper to make sure we do. So when we talk about redemption and redeeming, we have to understand that to redeem something is to buy it up. But here is something very interesting about this, is that in Scripture, money means nothing so when you're gonna buy something up but your currency is not money then what is the currency that is being discussed here in some parts of scripture when we talk about redemption we're talking about the currency being the blood of jesus how many of you know there is no better currency on the planet than the blood There is nothing better than to buy back your life than the blood of Christ. There is nothing that can break the yoke of bondage like the blood of Jesus. There is nothing I would rather apply to my payment than the blood of who Jesus is. So sometimes in Scripture when we see the word redeem or we see the word redemption, the currency is about the blood. And then sometimes in Scripture, like Ephesians chapter 5, we see the word redeem, and it is not about the blood, it's about us. See, sometimes God's in control of the redemption, and sometimes God's put us in control of that redemption. And this is what Paul said. Paul said, you better be careful about how you're living. You better start paying attention to how you are living because there is a lot of evil things going around vying for you to get off track. The enemy actually is not interested in you becoming an unsaved member of society. In case you're wondering, he's not trying to destroy your life by making you a sinner. He's trying to destroy your life by making you an unproductive Christian. Because you do more damage and cut off more things of God's ability to speak to you when you don't walk in the full nature of what you have been promised and can do. So God's not trying, the enemy's not trying to hold up you in sin. The enemy's trying to get you to live continually in presumptuous sin where you don't live out the fullness of what God has already promised and said belongs to you and what paul was saying in chapter 5 is a lot of people are living under the tyranny of not realizing that the day in which you are living is actually surrounded by barriers and problems and you got to learn to pay attention and learn how to redeem or buy back that time that word Time is not even just Kronos time. We always like to talk about this back in the eighties and nineties there was like a thousand sermons on Kronos and Kairos moments. Some of you probably never even heard of that, and I feel like I've heard about it so much that it's hard for me to even get up and preach about it. Because we have we have heard about it so much. But we swung, but you know, just like most things in scripture, we swing them too far to the other side. And we don't realize that there is a reason why Kairos things were given to us. And when we're talking about redeeming the time and living in a moment, we're talking about buying back the kairos moment or the set time or the prepared time in our life. In other words, there are two types of time you live in. You live in an everyday moment of time. It doesn't matter how hard I try, that clock is gonna keep ticking. I have not yet tried to figure out how to give myself five more minutes, it never happens. Why? Because Chronos' time continues to tick on. But in the midst of that everyday, ordinary moment, there are moments that God highlights for a specific reason and specific purpose. And in those moments, that is the timeline in which Paul is talking about. He's telling the people of God, you need to pay attention because there are moments you are missing because you're not being careful about them. And then the moment that you are at it, you can't redeem it because you've spent all your money, all your currency on everything else. See, I've realized that some people miss their moment not because they didn't discern it or they didn't see it, but because all their energy was lost in something that wasn't in the moment. So the currency of redemption in Ephesians 5 is actually our ability to see. He's saying when you want to buy back a Kairos moment, you have to learn to strategically see something you did not see before. So what you are using as your currency is your ability to discern. So if you want to know how to walk in a moment, if we want to know how to take responsibility for a moment, you have to learn how to discern. Now, I'd like to just break this down for five extra seconds because we have some real bad theology that rolls around about discernment. We make discernment as if it's only the discerning of spirits, and most of the time, we don't even know how to do that correctly, and we use the discerning of spirits to try to bring judgment on other people. That is not the purpose of the gift of the Spirit. The discerning of spirits is a gift. It is a gift that is given to us. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the discernment that belongs to you as a redeemed man or woman under the blood of Jesus. The ability to see differently. That discernment belongs to every single person that walks the planet, that knows the Lord. You have the ability to live in a discerned place. You have the ability to walk into the room with your boss and know how this conversation is gonna roll down. You have the ability to pray in advance and see when you come to the contract to know what it is on page five, you need to change so that it works in your favor. You say, well, that's not true. That's, that's absolutely true. I have friends that run major companies, and you would ask them, how is it that you've made millions and millions of dollars? And this is exactly what they would say. One of them is even, uh, Pat McDonald's, one of them, he has said to me before, he said, I have gone into a room making, I'm talking about multi-million dollar deals. Multi-million. Not like 10 bucks. multi Multi-million. And I have walked in a room and before I have walked in, I have said to the Lord, let me discern in this moment what it is that I am supposed to say yes to and what I'm supposed to say no to and what I need to rearrange in the favor of the company that I'm running on your behalf. See, listen, he understood the stewardship principle of redemption, that he was not the owner, but he was under the stewardship of a great owner who saw all, who was in all and who was through all. And so when he could come, to him and say, God, what is it that's in this contract I need to be looking for? He told me once I turned to page 14 of the contract, there was a clause that was going to put us in a bad place, and God told me to speak up about it. I spoke up about it, and it changed the figure by six digits. it's just because it didn't happen at your house. Let me give you something a little bit more down to earth. Maybe we can just take that one on a little bit. I have talked to people who have said that the doctor has given them a report, who has said, this is what your life is going to be. But when they ended up at the doctor, the Lord prompted them and said, ask them to scan again and look for this, which was a much less thing than what they had originally seen. And the doctor said, well, that doesn't even matter. This is definitely 100%. cancer." This is definitely 100% leukemia over their five-year-old child. And then they look at it again and they said to him, the Lord has prompted me and said that you need to scan again and look for this. These people are not doctors. They're ordinary Christians who have gotten the discernment meter of their life, turned in the direction of the redemption of time, and they've decided to capitalize on their Kairos moment and say, I'm going to buy back what it is that has been set against me. Because my owner has given me the privilege of the moment. And they scan again, and it's nothing but fluid. No doctor saw that, but a discerning Christian did. See, too many of us are taking our moment at face value. And as a result of that, you get the iceberg, the tip, but you miss everything underneath. Everything that the season has, you get satisfied with 10% of. But listen, here's what I figured out. Crisis creates pressure. It never creates priority, it creates pressure. But pressure, under the right circumstances, always redirects priority. Pressure never creates priority. It it always is the redirection of giving you the privilege of finding your priority. So when God brings situations in our life we did not see coming, when we live out in moments that doctor's reports and bank accounts and things. Just three weeks ago, I was sitting in the office, needing to make a major decision. An absolute major decision. Mom was in there. We were all in there. And I mean, they, they were having a meeting and I was working frivolously on this one piece. And I could not for the life of me it was not coming together and it was a big deal it was a very 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 big deal and I could not figure out the answer for the life of me and I I consider myself relatively intelligent and I was sitting there and I was looking at this these figures because that's part of what I do here I've been the CFO for many many years and I was looking at these figures and I would I could not figure out what was happening what was happening what was happening and I finally, in the middle of the meeting, without them even knowing, I just put my pencil down, and I, I just sat for a second, and I said in my internal knower, I said, God, you've got to help me. Like, this was a big deal. Like, I needed to find this out immediately. It, we were on a time-sensitive moment. And I said to the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I've got to figure this out. And it was literally not even ten seconds later that I looked at Jennifer, who was in there, and I said, could this have been what this was? And immediately she said, yeah, that's exactly what was going on. And it just like, it illuminated, the answer illuminated and progress began again. Because I took a moment to discern the moment I was in. See, listen, 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 listen. We have to take responsibility for this moment. Let me tell you something. This moment is designed for now. The moment over your life is designed for now. It is not designed for next year. It is not designed for last year. It is designed for now. And this moment that we're experiencing as a corporate body, and I believe you as an individual, has not been designed out of crisis. It has only revealed our ability to respond. Because crisis creates pressure, pressure gives you opportunity to reorder priorities. So I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about three things that I believe help us to understand, to fill out the moment we are living in. Is this okay? Y'all okay? You getting something? I hope so. I know I'm in a little bit of a teachery mode, but I feel like I have to break this down for you today. We got to learn how to discern our moment because see, listen, The moment that God is giving us at the gate and really probably around the world and at our nation is not going to be discerned because a whole bunch of people shout and do flips in the church building. This moment is originating in hearts. See, there have been previous days and previous what I would call maybe even moves of God. And if you've been a Christian for a long time or you've been in church at any length of that time, you will know this. There have been moves of God that have come, but they have come and originated seemingly in the external and then tried to become produced on the internal. But I believe strongly, even though I know that they didn't originate that way in this infancy, I believe strongly that this move is not about an external expression without an internal revelation. It's about an indwelling spirit becoming so a part of who we are that when we begin to act out, we have nothing else to do but to act out in the moment that we're living in. Because, again, the redeeming of time means I take what was lost and I begin to buy it back with my energy, with my time, with my ability to sense so that I can move us into a new direction. So I want to talk to you about three things. Three things that help us to consider in God moments. Number one, moments with God can be missed. Luke. Luke chapter 19. This is going to be, you know, say, well, it's, it's Palm Sunday. You should be preaching a Palm Sunday message. Well, here it is for you. I now brought you to Palm Sunday, Luke chapter 19. If you are looking in Luke chapter 19, Eva touched on it today. We see Jesus who comes riding in on what we know as the triumphal entry. Maybe you are not around Christian things. That basically means that Jesus came through town riding on a donkey, and and that was a sign at that time of kingship. Many of the kings rode a donkey. That wasn't the unusual part about his entry. His entry was not that unusual to what kings would do. They would ride on donkeys. The difference was that he chose to ride on one that had never been ridden on before. He chose to take what was ordinary and what was undeveloped, and he chose to use that as his mechanism to get us into where he was headed. See, in fact, the Bible says in chapter, in, in, in the book of Luke, it says that he came and he told his disciples, he said, if you'll go to this certain section between Beth Sage and you'll go there in between Bethany, you'll find a colt that is tied to a post. You need to untie it. And when the owner says to you, why do you want it, you need to tell him because the the Lord has need of it. And the most people just skip right over that and consider that the names of two cities. But actually what the names of those mean is Bethsage means the city of unripened grapes. And Bethany means the place of bitterness or the place of despair. So when he said to him, he said, you're going to go find something that's never been untied before, that's still tied up. And you need to go find it in the middle of what's undeveloped and what's in despair. And when you go, and you're willing to go, and you untie it, somebody's going to ask you why you're taking what's undeveloped for you, and you need to tell them it's because God has need of it. And then you end up seeing Jesus now ride in on the triumphal entry, as we know. But on the back end of this chapter, you'll look in in verse 41, and it says in verse 41, Now he drew near to Jerusalem. He saw the city. And what did he do? He wept over it. And then look in verse 43 and 44. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the Kairos moment of your visitation. You can and I can miss our moment. It is possible that Jesus comes through the city of our town, of our heart, and we still miss his visitation. It is possible that in the midst of our desire to please God, we still miss what God is doing. And do you want to know why they missed their visitation? Why they missed what God was doing? Because they wanted God to come a different way than he chose to come. Most Christians get held up because they cannot not just sense what God is doing. They cannot allow God to be who he wants to be in that moment to them. We put parameters on what we expect from God and when God doesn't perform inside of the parameters of what we decided God could do, we believe he's not moving that way. See, it didn't make sense to me when my husband had his car accident, about six months before his car accident, we had a nice little Camry Toyota. And that little Camry Toyota was our second car and it was a little brilliant little $8,000 car and it got us around and it reminded me of Jay because Jay had a Honda forever and ever and ever. And we would just ride that little Camry around and it was so fantastic and we were so excited because we it was paid for yeah. Woo-hoo, we owned it yes. you know and so we rode around in that little second car and Jason said one day he said I'm gonna sell this car and I said why would you sell this car he said because I feel like the Lord's told me to sell this car and I was like no the Lord did not say that because I liked this little Camry." he said the Lord's told me to sell this car and we're supposed to give the money to the church and I was like no the Lord didn't say that either god bless your husbands and wives and so the lord we we ended up selling the car giving the money to the church and and we 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 had to go out and buy a new car with no money now you say well god wouldn't put you into debt well hear the rest of my story you could decide on your own so we went out and bought a car because jason had wanted a certain type of truck and we, it wasn't a new truck, but he wanted a certain type of truck. And, and we said, well, it's okay. You know, we'll finance this truck. So we put a little bit of money down that we had, and we ended up financing the rest. And I got to be honest with you, my little religious heart and religious spirit in me was like, God would never do this. God would never want me to give all my money and then go back in debt. All right, I'll act like it's just me. None of y'all ever been there. And so I said to the Lord, Lord, maybe this is, maybe this is some issue like Jason didn't hear. We don't know what we're doing. We're insane. And I remember we made those payments on those first few months, and, and Jason got this truck, and it was good, and it was nice. He was his favorite; he loved it, and had this nice little grill on it, and it was like big old, you know, muscle pipes and big tires, and he just like loved this truck, you know. And uh, if you know him, you'll know what I mean. He grew up in the South, so it makes total sense. He's with his family today, so who knows? I can say whatever I want. He's he's in Florida, but uh, anyway, so he had this truck, and then March seventh, two thousand and fifteen. 15 came, and a set of tires came off of a tractor-trailer at 70 miles an hour. Jason was driving down an I-35, and it hit the front of this truck. Now, the truck was demolished. Maybe you've seen some of our pictures. But I'll never forget getting to the hospital and talking to the trooper. And the trooper said these words. Had he been in a car, he'd be dead. Because the car would have completely cr- it would just crush the entire top of the car because of the size of the car. He said but because he had a front end on this truck, it's still a miracle he's alive, but it at least gave him a chance. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, "You could have missed your moment." over your religious attitude towards me asking you to give something that then turned out to your benefit because your husband's walking the planet. Who cares about $5,000 financed when you got your husband sitting with you? See, you can miss your visitation when you are getting too religious about how you view the things you think God should be doing a certain way. But God said, I am the one who decides the alpha and the omega. I am the one who is the beginning and the end. I am the one who ordains the moment you are living in. Your job is to walk under the stewardship of the owner in which you have entrusted your life and believe that whether I ask you to take $10,000 out at a bank or I give it to you free a charge, or I ask you to walk. It doesn't matter as long as you're doing what I ask you to do because my purposes are higher than your purposes. My ways are higher than your ways. See, some of us are locked up and missing our moment like the people in Jerusalem because we want God to come the way we want. My dad used to say, when it gets quiet, it's good hunting territory. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for all the awesome quotes. We have to learn how to embrace this moment by getting outside of what we expect God to do. Listen to me. Your expectancy has to be shaped by your revelation of God. Otherwise, you will always reduce God always. Your expectancy has to be shaped by your revelation of God, or it will always be a lower place and reduce God. I didn't always understand what God was doing. I didn't see March 7th. You got your own stories. I'm just telling mine. I didn't see that moment. But what I did know is that God was shaping a revelation in us to trust him. That he wasn't just our provider of income. Because see, listen, I had basically reduced God to becoming a person of our income, not realizing that he is also the one who provides life. Provision comes in more ways than just money. So we have to learn that these moments can be missed. So what do we do not to miss them? We have to openly begin to see differently. You don't miss the moment when you openly see differently. Now let me give you an example, and I'll just pass by it real quick because I need to get moving. Elijah's servant in Scripture, the Bible says he sent him back seven times to look for rain. Go find the rain. Can you imagine being Elijah's servant? Like, I have been to Mount Carmel. I just want you to understand something. It was not a short journey. Like, this was like five miles. This was like five miles long. So I have been there. So you are on Mount Carmel. You are Elijah. You are praying, and you're looking at your most awesome servant. Now, see, here's where I'm at in this. I feel like I have most of the time in my life been the role of the awesome servant under the direction of Tony and Kathy Miller. And they have been the Elijahs of my life at times, and they have been believing God, and I have been the one running the five miles each way. In my early years particularly. And I thought about the third time, you know it ain't going to happen. There ain't nothing there. But the Bible says that Elijah looked back and said, go again. I can just imagine the attitude by the fifth sixth time. Are you killing me right now? The Bible says the seventh time, who knows if he saw it or he made it up. (laughs) By the seventh time, he said, i got to tell this man something or five more miles is in my future. (laughs) And he came back on the seventh time and he looked at Elijah and he said, listen here, man. I saw something about this big. If the Bible says that Elijah said, rain is coming. What's the difference? Is it because Elijah couldn't see? Elijah's servant couldn't see? Maybe. But it was more that the shape of Elijah's awareness was under the direction of the lordship of God. And his revelation of God was so much more intense than his experience of God that he could see further than the servant could see. Because listen, what the servant saw as a small cloud, Elijah sensed as a rainstorm. Now, I want to bring this forward because we tend to idolize people in Scripture and believe that the only people who can be Elijah are pastors and preachers. You can be Elijah. This is not a pastoral role. This is a you role. You get to be the one who senses the rainstorm. You are not only the runner who calls out the peace. You have to be a censor of the rainstorm. So that when we understand that we miss our moment if we don't sense what God's doing. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God is doing something at the gate. Yes. And it is not about you or me. It is about the hundreds of thousands of people out there. It's about the moms that didn't have a bed to put their kids in last night because they don't have enough room. They don't have a, they don't have a bed. They don't have sheets. They don't have a pillow. And they laid their kids down on a bare floor in your city. It's about the domestic violence as one of the highest rates in all of our country here in the state of Oklahoma where women and men both are being beaten by their spouse and are staying silent because they don't know what to do and they're in such fear. It's about them. It's about the woman who came through being raped and never knowing who to tell. It's about the, the lady who showed up at an abortion clinic because she didn't know what else to do. The last thing she needs is to walk into a church that judges her. It is not about you and me. Do you know why the move of God's coming to your heart first? It is because if we don't change the way we see, we can never embrace what God's trying to bring we will put our own criterias on what people have to be and have to do in order to receive the love and grace of God when God said I don't need you to become their agent of grace I just need you to let them get to me and when they get to me grace will flow to them you get to be the lover of my soul to them you don't get to judge what they did you don't get to decide if they're worthy all you get to do is pray them in and pray them through and give them a hug and love on them and challenge them and let them become everything I've called them to be don't miss our moment over our judgments secondly and I'm rounding the corner here in a moment every move of God starts messy Every move of God starts messy. If you don't like mess, you aren't going to experience the move of God. Say, well, that might or might not be true. God's a God of order, Amanda. Trust me. God's order hovered over chaos first. Because every move of God starts messy. One of my favorite stories. Scriptures is Proverbs 14 verse 14. I have said it a thousand times as a leader, and particularly I'm gonna I'm gonna be kind of funny for a moment. And if the if the worship team wants to come, you can come because I'm going to point three really quick. In in Proverbs chapter 4, sorry, 14, verse 4, there's a scripture that says, Where there are no oxen, the trough is clean. But much strength comes from the oxen. Now, this is an interesting scripture because it is really a wisdom scripture. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. It's about giving us wisdom. It's about giving us nuggets of wisdom. And I'll never forget one time, and Cole's not in here, but I'm going to talk about him anyway. One time I was developing in the middle of developing Cole Phillips' life. God bless us all. And he worked in my department and he was driving me insane insane. He was young. He's not nearly where he was today. This was back in the, he's been with us 18 years. This is a long time ago. And uh, when we were, when we were in the middle of of things going on, he was messing so many things up and it was driving me crazy. And I remember the Lord said to me one day, look up Proverbs 14 verse four. I'd never heard this verse before. Look up Proverbs 14 verse four. He said, listen to me. If you want to be someone who changes someone else's life, You got to get used to mess. Otherwise, let me know now that you want your trough clean and I'll go use somebody else. Because if all you want is a clean house, you're in the wrong business. Here's what I've come to tell you. It's going to get messier than you already feel like it is here. Listen, there ain't nobody that's more upset when the words don't come on like they're supposed to. Or the mic goes out like it's supposed to. Or more music comes out of the things than it's supposed to. Listen, I am a preacher and a pastor. It drives me insane. I stand behind that curtain and repent and ask the Lord to do a work in my life. But it's going to get messier than that. Do you know why? Because It is a move of God coming. And a move of God comes with mess. It comes with what you don't understand. It comes when you are upset and you don't get why it is God's using what you thought he should not be using and God's using it anyway. Because a move of God is not about you or me. It's about his purposes being lived out in the earth. So messy is on his agenda. Get used to it. Get comfortable in it. He will clean it up but he does not mind it. You got to get okay with messy. Yes. Because it's messy. Here's the third one. Are y'all okay? Here's the third one. Every move of God brings fresh opportunity. Fresh opportunity. Now I want to round this out today. I'm actually gonna you oh yeah, there he is. He good looking today. Yeah, he told me that earlier, so I feel like I should return the compliment. What your moment can bring you. Listen to me. Turn to Acts 16 real quick. Acts 16. I'm gonna have Ashley and the team help me just for a minute. Acts 16. I'm going to really just have you earmark it so that you can go back to it. But every move of God brings fresh opportunity. Now listen, there's a really popular scripture we love to preach in Acts 16, starting at verse 16. I'm going to just roll down it in my own speaking, and then you can go back and study it for yourself. The context is, is that Paul and Silas have been doing the work of the Lord. Casting out demons, setting captives free, using what God put in their hand to the best of their ability. But it didn't matter how hard they tried to do what God told them to do. They found themselves in a prison cell beaten. See, that's why we can't get held up in the type of prosperity gospels that we get caught up in. Because, see, what you don't realize is, is that you can still be doing the work and still get the beating. Yes. It may not be physical and imprisonment here, but it could be an icing out of a friend. Yes, yes. It could be somebody using their words because they don't get why you're going to that church and why you're raising your hands and why you're loving Jesus. It's still possible. The Bible says that they were doing the will of the Lord and they found themselves beaten and in prison. And then there's a transition point. You don't know how long this happened, but there's a transition point. And it says at midnight, they were singing. See, I have figured something out. My mother's taught me more than anyone. There are some moments that words can't express. You can't figure out why you're in the moment you're in. It's messy. It's hard. It's imprisoning. It's, it's so congested. And all you've got is your song. There's a man who wrote a very popular book from the Holocaust named Viktor Frankl. He said, they took my name and gave me a number. They took my home and left me adrift. They took my bed and gave me hay. But they could never take. Song. I always was in charge of my song. The Bible says that at midnight, they were singing, and here's where I want to pick up, and all of the prisoners were listening in. See, there's something in the moment about just a song that just soothes the hearts of people who are just sitting in a moment. Sing me a song, Ashley, that just soothes us for a moment, that helps us get where I want to go with this thought. See, something about just the song. No one knows what you've been through. This is all you got left. That you've been captured, taken advantage of. But all the prisoners are listening. says that while they were listening, there came a great, mighty earthquake that began to shake the ground. See, listen, your song, your song is changing the atmosphere of your moment. That hallelujah song that's coming from you, it's changing what you're experiencing and what everyone else is experiencing. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that as they were listening, all of a sudden, every single person, their chains fell. Because of a song. You're singing for someone you don't even know. on the corner that doesn't know a way out. The business owner that felt like taking his life last night. Ashley, but I want to just finish something up here. As they were singing, everything broke. Here's the key. Paul and Silas never moved from their place because they discerned in that moment that the breaking was not about them because the next scripture says that the jail keeper said to himself, look at what has happened on my watch. I must take my life. And Paul with a loud voice spoke up and said, sir, sir, our song is breaking you out, not me. Sir, we're all still here. Here's the key. You mature in the move of God when you realize your song is no longer necessary just for you. When your song can be sung in this building, but be reaching to the corners of our city, when your song of hallelujah doesn't have to be about soothing your soul, but it can be about bringing someone else out, that is when you know, ladies and gentlemen, that we're on the brink of a move of God. I don't know where you're at but i'm asking you if you got a song in you we're gonna lift the roof of the singing of the song because there is a world that is waiting on the move that is going on in us we don't need the songs for us we don't need to soothe our soul we are soothed by the spirit but we are ready for the prison doors to open over people's hearts in jesus